Well, our kids are evacuating, and I think our grades 6 to 12s are evacuating as well. So I'll take this moment to introduce our Life Group's pastor, Dave Moore. He's going to come and share a little bit. This is an exciting season. We're just on the cusp of launching right into Life Group's right across the board. So, uh, Pastor Dave. I think it's safe for me to say that I I have really never been more excited about the direction our church is going in than I am right now. Something very positive. But I also carry a a little bit of concern because often when we come to this topic that I want to just share with you, kind of where we're going this fall and on, the church has typically at times used this topic to, or, or has used this as an opportunity to guilt you into stuff. And it is not my intention to guilt you into this. Uh, If you're feeling guilt, don't look at me, look at your heart. That's all I'm going to say, all right? You've got to figure out somewhere where that's coming from. But uh, uh, I am just uh, excited about uh, where we are going. A few years back, I remember reading uh, this rather soul-shaking quote. It, It went like this. We are educated beyond our ability to obey. And I listened to that and I thought, I wonder where he's getting at with that. And then I began to realize, speaking of myself, all right, that I have spent from, well, I can't remember when it started because it was always there, all the way up through Sunday school, church, youth group, uh, all kinds of various Christian education opportunities, I have been fed the word. I have got it all down fairly comfortable with my doctrine. I know where it's all happening. But when I read that particular phase, I went, ouch. Because the purpose of me learning it all isn't to learn it all. It's to do something with it all. And the move that we're looking at this fall in our church is not to invite you into life groups where for eight weeks we're going to talk about something called gospel fluency, but we're going to invite you on a journey that is going to be initiated through a three-week or an eight-week uh, contemplation on where we are as Christians in the light of all that we know and what is it we're supposed to do with that. I think, and study after study, I started reading these studies actually somewhere in the late 70s, these studies are still continuing. Barna study or, or poll group uh, probably initiated some of this stuff. But here was a painfully revealing significant fact that hasn't been altered much in all the studies since then. And it is this. All our knowledge is not translating into seeing us sharing with our world what we know. In short, people in our community are not coming to faith in Jesus. Thus enter gospel fluency. Hillcrest is taking, I believe, a huge faith step, declaring that our commitment to Jesus' final words to his disciples must be something more than just memorized. It is in that great commission that he calls us to contemplate the need of our world, not just our own. In that great commission, he asks us to consider leaving our comfort zones and moving out beyond it. And in that great commission, because he knows that when we're asked to leave our comfort zones and to go into the world and preach this awkward gospel at times, he said this, in the face of our fears, 
our certainties, he said this, are you ready? I'm with you. That's the truth of the good news, friends, is that when we are called to embrace this amazing adventure called the gospel, Jesus walks with us. But we also know through the scriptures that he does not ask us to walk alone. Right in the beginning of Genesis, when Adam was created, he looked at the poor guy and he says, it's not good for you to be alone. And he gave him a health meet. And all the way through the scriptures, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, the call is this, we must meet in community. This is a wonderful community here on Sunday mornings when we gather, but this is not the kind of community that can eyeball us and challenge us and call us into a life that has a little more adventure than being here on a Sunday morning. If there's two things that we know about adventures is this, because the gospel is an adventure, is number one, we are going into an unknown. I stand before you guilty. I do not know the next steps. I just simply know that my heart is not content with my present step. And that there's a need for us to move into this thing, particularly as we see our world going the direction that it's going in. It needs this good news that we harbor and keep off way too often among ourselves. The second thing about a great adventure is that when we step into the unknown, it instills some level of fear. And there is something uncomfortable about daring to step beyond where we simply feel comfortable. And so there's kind of a, a fear tactic or a fear element, I should say, to this whole thing. But if we can do this in community, hence the value of what we hear at, life, at, at Hillcrest call life groups, then we can encourage one another. Gospel fluency isn't a course on evangelism. G gospel fluency is a course on walking the good news, eventually in some way that the world will take note. Life groups, which are kicking off this week, are embracing a first step into this larger, what we're now calling, and you're going to hear more about this, what we are calling our three-year plan. It's a call to embrace the gospel, the good news from Jesus, not just discuss it. I think it's exciting. I think that our hearts resonate with this in spite of our fear of the unknown and fear itself. But I'm calling you to give serious consideration to this. So there's two simple steps this morning. Number one, those of you who are in life groups, get ready. Your life group leader has the information that you're going to need. And you're going to be stepping into this adventure slowly, moving forward in ways where you can legitimately challenge yourself and, and one another. But it's going to take you in a direction that's not going to leave you at the end of eight weeks. Number two, if you're not part of a life group, then I invite you to consider the possibility of this. And so after this service, I invite you to meet me back out in the foyer, over on that side, around the information desk, and we have some forms that I'm going to invite you to fill out just so I can understand what your needs are in terms of uh, when we can meet and that kind of stuff. And fill it out, and by the end of this week, or by the end of this day, I hopefully will have you placed in a life group that'll work for you. The other piece of information, life group leaders who are here, I invite you to also go back there and make sure that you're picking up enough of the workbooks for your, uh, for your life group, all right? So the gospel fluency workbooks out there are just for life group leaders to pick up. Uh, you get to have one of them when you join a life group and, uh, and kind of go and grow with us. So there's our call. I invite you into this. And pray that you will see the value of a journey together 
as uh, we walk into the good news so that we can share the good news. Thank you. That's excellent. And I'm just going to try my absolute best. Oh boy, I shouldn't say that. To give us enough time for the end to do exactly what Dave said so that you can actually go to the info desk there and uh, either inquire or sign up or, or engage about life groups or um, uh, if you're a leader, uh, then getting your material. So I'm going to try to leave enough time for that. So I'm going to jump right into Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And uh, reading there. So, I don't know, the screen might catch up, but Ephesians 4, 11 to 24 is where I'm reading. So if you've got a bench Bible there, you can open that. And it's near the back. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, etc. Okay, you'll find it up near the back. So Galatians 4, 11 to 24. It says, so Christ... So, did I miss something? Okay. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants. If you're still flipping pages, Ephesians 4, 11 to 24. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, And insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ And were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Dave has already started things out for me, and I appreciate that. He's talking about choosing to intentionally grow, choosing to intentionally grow. Um, there's, a, there's a three-way partnership in your spiritual growth. And, and we'll start with you, because you're the individual who is making the choice. Um, no, actually, we'll get to you. Let, let's back it up. Let's, let's start with the role of spiritual leaders in this, because that goes right back to our text. That's probably the easiest to begin with. Uh, verse 11 of Ephesians 4, the very first verse we read said, So Christ... Of course, it all starts with Jesus. Gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Those are different leadership roles in the church. Um, And I won't dive into all that they do, but I'll I'll tell you what's the purpose. 
to, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. Oh, okay, is that it? No, there's more to it. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Is that it? No, there's more. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Is that it? No. And become mature. Is that it? One more. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Attaining to the full measure of Christ. So Jesus himself gives leadership to the church. He is the head of the church, by the way. He's the ultimate leader. But then he, he appoints people, he gives people with specific giftings and callings to help train the individuals in the church. And the end goal is that we're mature, but not just mature like as in like, oh, what a mature person. Maturity is defined as attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So first you have spiritual leaders, but then you have the, the response of the individual. The response of the individual. First Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself to be godly. I'm just going to grab the one phrase. This is Paul writing to a younger uh, man, Timothy, who he's mentoring, and he says, train yourself to be godly. Do you wonder how people become godly? Or like God in their character? Do you wonder how that happens? Is it that they roll out of bed on a different side and that changes things for them? Is it that someone prays for them and in that moment they are transformed into a godly person? Actually, a lot can happen in a moment of prayer. A lot can happen in a moment of prayer. But the transformation to become godly doesn't actually happen in a, in a, in a snap. That's why Paul said you have to train yourself to be godly. It's a process. Oh, it's a, it's a process in, instituted by God and God's in the mix of every bit of it. So it's a miracle, but it's actually a process to become godly. In fact, Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians 9.25, he says this analogy. He says, everyone who competes in the games, of course, it's great to sort of have the modern Olympics and to know that, uh, that the precursor to the modern Olympics, the ancient Olympics, were still there back when, uh, when Paul was writing about it. There was, there's different types of uh, competitive games. And so... When we watch the Olympics today, we can relate to Paul's analogy then. Everyone who competes in the games. Do you know an Olympian? Anyone know any Olympians? Anyone know any Olympians personally? My sister-in-law was an Olympian. My brother married an Olympian. Isn't that great? Yeah. And she is a machine. She is a machine. She's a cross-country skier, born in Russia, moved to Canada, competes for Canada, still has a delightful Russian accent, and she is a machine. One day she went cross-country skiing, and she was pushing so hard, she didn't realize that her hands were getting black with frostbite. She's a machine. Now, she survived. She still got all her fingers, and it all went better in the end. But she's a machine. What? How did she get there? Did she fall to bed one day and she was a machine? No. She went into strict training on everyone who competes in the game. Games goes into strict training. They do it to get a gold medal or a crown that will not last, it says in the scripture, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. My sister-in-law doesn't compete anymore. She had a baby. She says it was, she, she watched this year's Olympics saying, I, I know all these ones. I could have competed. I probably would have placed about here. This might have been the year I might have broke to this level. She probably would not have meddled because 
Canadians don't win cross-country skiing. That's the reality. <laughs> and there's other countries that are going into even stricter training to get to that level and have you know, better processes. But she said, I probably could have done all that, but instead, I married your brother, I finished my degree, and I had a baby. And she said, that is a way better use of four years than going into that level of strict training. Paul says this analogy. He says, he, he says the same type of thing. He says, you can go into strict training to get something that has a certain value, or you can realize there is something of much greater value and put your strict training on this side of the, of the equation. And that's what she did, right? So we get baby pictures all the time. All the time. Could have pursued a gold medal. Probably went to got one because we're Canadians. Instead, pursued something better. A little baby girl, my niece, Christina. Paul says, you can put your strict training into pursuing all sorts of things. There's all sorts of things that the world around you will tell you that this is worth uh, disciplining yourself for, sacrificing for, going all out for. And then he lets the cat out of the bag by saying, that's a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So we've talked, there's a role of spiritual leaders, and the role of spiritual leaders is to equip so that maturity can happen. Maturity is defined by being like Jesus, being filled, or let me read it to you, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's, it's, it's even more than just being like Jesus. We'll get into that in a little bit. But he's saying, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So you have the, so, so what do you need? You need leaders, God-appointed leaders, who will equip people. Then you need the individual's response, saying, I'm willing to go into training. I'm willing to train to become godly. I see that becoming like Jesus is actually a wonderful result. I see that my life being shaped more by Jesus is really worth going into training for. And then you have the last part of this three-way partnership, the role of the Holy Spirit. Galatians uh, 5 says it this way, walk by the Spirit. This is some of the scriptures we never got to in our Jesus Plus Nothing series, so I'm just sneaking them in here because they're so good. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, that's sort of like our, our own selfish, uh, sort of who we were before Jesus. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another. There's a war within us, so that you're not, you don't do what you want, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, you're not under that. Hmm. So you've got th three partnerships. You've got, do you have leaders in the church who want to equip? Who are called to equip? Who take seriously their role to equip? That's the first thing. Secondly, as an individual, are you willing to be equipped? Are you willing to go into training? And finally, are we leaning into the Spirit? Are we being led by the Spirit? Are we walking with the Spirit? Because none of this can actually happen unless the Spirit of God causes it to happen. A three-way partnership to see the church become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness 
of Christ. So I, I just, I'm so excited about this season of growth. Every fall we, have, we aim at a season of growth. We really tackle something specifically. And I'm really excited about this fall. And, and, and I don't know what strict training or, or even training period looks for you. Maybe, maybe, you'll, maybe you showed up this morning and you said, well, I, I, I'm not ready to sign up for anything. I don't know much about what's going on. Let, let me just give you a beginner level, a second level, and a third level. Beginner level of training, which is, would be very valuable, is if you just say, I'm going to track with the teaching of the next eight, nine weeks. I'm going to show up here every time I'm able to. And if I'm not here, I'm going to listen to the podcast. Because I at least want to get that. I don't know much about life groups, or I can, you can get your, answer, your questions answered today too. But, but you know, maybe for some reason that doesn't work for you, or, or scheduling conflicts, or, or whatever it is. But at least you say, I'm going to go into one level of training. I'm going to track the whole way through with this, this series that's coming. Because I want to become godly. I want to, I want to have... Uh, I want to experience the, the great results of, of being transformed to be more like Jesus in my life. Or maybe you'll say, okay, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to track with those sermons, but I'm also going to go into life group. That would be going to another level, right? I'm going to join a life group. But you know what? You can sometimes join a life group and not go all the way with that either. You know how it is. You're sort of there, and that's all you can do, but you don't really, there's sort of the extras you can do. Well, let me tell you what the extras is. In your life group, when you get like a, your little uh, guide, you realize that there's scriptures that you can be reading uh, throughout the weeks as you go through. And those are scriptures to soak you in the truths of the gospel. So you want to go to the third level? That's the third level. It's to really engage and soak. So what? I'm just asking you to step up. For some of you say, yeah, I'm just sort of here. I'm not planning to come back. I'd ask you to step up. Come back. And if you can't come back, check out the podcast. And some of you say, well, I'm always here. But I don't know. Well, life groups, well, maybe you need to Take a step there, an actual step that's of greater training. Or maybe you say, I always am in the life group. I've been in the same life group for six years, but I never do the homework. Well, maybe this is your year. Maybe this is your year to step up and, and experience a greater level of transformation in your life. So what are we talking about? What is gospel fluency? Uh, Dave's done an excellent job of, of sort of introducing it. Uh, but why is, what is gospel fluency and what is it right now? When you think of the word fluency, what do you think of? Give me feedback. Learning another language. Thank you. You know what? I, I've, I've barely got one language. I don't really have much of other languages. But for a while, I had a, I had a son in French school, or French immersion. No, it was full-on French. It was just totally French in every way. And, um, and so I learned, comme uh, ça va? And I said it poorly every time. And so when I go to this, it's sort of like, comme ça va? You know, sort of, I think it means, how are you? I, that's how I used it. And people would say, bien, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then I was like, I have a phrase, only one, and this is not working for me. Because I don't have anything. Because, you know, even if I really got the accent right, and I don't know it anymore because it's been years since I tried. Even if I got the accent right on that, that first phrase, I'm exposed immediately that I know nothing else. And so these people are expectantly looking at me like, yeah, let's speak French. And I'm like, no, no. I, no Francais. No Francais. No fluency. All I got a phrase. How many of you ever taken a vacation, vacation to a country where they speak Spanish? 
And how many, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. How many of you, now you, if you know more than 20 phrases in Spanish, you can drop your hands. The ones who keep so of your hands up, you are so brave. You are so brave. You went to a place where they do not speak your language and you do not speak theirs, not really. Put your hands up. Having a few phrases is not fluency, right? You go to, you go to Mexico on a vacation and you're like, hey, uh, I know how to say my name is. I know how to say where is the bathroom. I'm good. Those, actually, that second one's really important in Mexico. But um, you, you aren't fluent. Fluent, the other thing is, fluency is sort of the same sort of root word as fluid, right? Meaning it flows. And a lot of times that's how it is when we're talking about our faith. It doesn't flow. Now, we might have a few helpful phrases. We might have a few helpful phrases, and nothing wrong with that. That's actually how you begin, right? If you went to language school and you wanted to become fluent in a language, they would start you out with drilling you with phrases. And, or or then you might go into an immersion classroom, and then you would just feel on edge the whole time. I did it once. Anyhow, um, there's processes to get there. Now, speaking of immersion, how immersed are we in the gospel? How immersed are we in the gospel? So, maybe I'll talk about my immersion experience. So they offered French classes at the French school where my son was attending. He seemed to have no trouble with this new language. So I thought, hey, Marnie and I could probably get it too. So we signed up for the classes, night classes, and we go to the class, and um, my first tip-off should be that everyone in the class were women, except for me. That should be my first tip-off. You know, they're better with languages. Did you know that about women? They have lots of superpowers. That's one of them. Anyhow, I got into this classroom, and I thought, oh, okay, you know, I'm a good talker. Haha. <laughs> I am... Um, I can speak well, uh, and I will, I'll, I'll learn this really quickly, and, and this will be fine, and, and stuff like that. But I actually didn't know the nature of the class. It actually was an immersion class. It was not a, here's your phrases. It was, we'll speak to you in French and see if you get it. <laughs> I want to tell you, week after week, I didn't get it. In fact, I wasn't getting it at all. I was looking at my classmates, and I saw the lights going on, all these women, these intelligent women, they were like, ah, oh, and they're coming back with their phrases and speaking to the teacher, and I'm like, how are you doing that? I'm not getting it. I'm not, there's, there's nothing in me. But you know what? After all the while, I got a little bit more. Now, it still was painful every single time. I was always the dunce of the class. I was far behind every woman in the class, and I was always struggling to keep up. But you know what? There was something about being immersed in that culture that I started to get it. If you've done one of those trips to another country, and you start out and you've got one phrase, two phrases, you start picking a bit more up, and then you catch on and you say, if I lived here, I could learn this. But if I only come here one week of the year, I don't think I'm ever going to get this. So what if I was immersed in a community that spoke the language of the gospel? What if I was immersed in a community that spoke the language of the gospel? I think that's the greatest hope for the gospel to flow, for it to become, flu for it to become fluent, 
for us to become fluent, for it to flow out of our lives, is to be immersed in a community where the gospel is always being spoken. And that's the desire, is to, is to become more and more fluent in the gospel. And I want to tell you why. You say, well, this just sounds like some nice add-on. It's not really a nice add-on. It's absolutely essential. Um, I don't know if... I, I didn't give those guys very good notes at the back there for the tech guys. If there's any possible ability... I, I tried to get the mission statement uh, to them, but I didn't. I did a bad job. So if they... It's all on me this morning. The mission statement, let me read it to you, uh, for our church. Hillcrest mission statement. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. So there's, we're working, we're putting great effort, we're strategizing, we're dreaming, we're imagining what could be. That's the we strive part. To see all people reconciled to God. Not that Hillcrest itself will reconcile every person on the planet, but that's our, our heart's desire, and we work along with that, to see as many people reconciled to God as possible. So people who are far from God or appear to be far from God being reconciled with God. Of course, Jesus made that possible by what he did on the cross. He opened the way to have a relationship with God. And now we need to be able to tell people that. They need to know the good news, that the, the way is open, and Jesus has done it. And they can have a relationship with God. I mean, so even people, and they say, man, if I ever walked into a church, lightning would strike me. No. No. God has opened the way through sending Jesus. And we want to see many, many people reconciled to God. And then the last part, and mature in Christ. Now, it's interesting. When you talk about sharing the gospel or, or speaking the gospel or a community that speaks the gospel fluently or frequently, you think, well, that will be really helpful on the first part of our mission, to see people reconciled to God. And yes, that's true. But you know, it'll actually be just as helpful on the second part of our mission, which is to see people becoming mature in Christ. Let's go back to our text. Let's go back to our text. So we're at Ephesians 4. Listen to this. It says, in verse 15, it says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we'll grow up in every way, to, in every respect, huh, we'll grow to become, sorry, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, often when you, I don't know, I've, spoken about this passage before and I've talked about speaking in love, the truth in love, and often what we come to when we have that conversation is like, oh yeah, you've got to balance those two dynamics, right? Speak the truth, but do it in love. Don't just be loving, sort of, you know, wimpy and wussy and, and nice. And don't just be truth-telling, you know, harsh and, and blunt and, and uh, in your face, but get these two things together, the truth in love. And that's sort of how most of those messages go. It's a really good message, actually, by the way. Very important. If I was preaching that message this morning, I would put all my heart and soul into it because it's very important that we speak the truth in love. But what is the end result? What is the end result? Well, people become mature, right? Because they see stuff like, you know, you, you say, hey, you're not, it doesn't seem like what you're doing is, is the best idea, and I'm telling you that because I love you, and so that's why you can receive it, and that's why you can change and become mature. But what is maturity? What is maturity? In Ephesians chapter 4, 
The definition of maturity, again, is attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now I'm going to read, I'm going to read some and I'm going to read a little bit more, okay? So let's go back, okay? So we want to attain the full measure of Christ, and then verse 15 says, So speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So it's not just talking about you as an individual becoming mature. It's talking about the church becoming mature, the people of God becoming mature. That there's a maturing. And, and it's defined by... Um, the mature body of him who's the head, that is Christ. It's, it's talking about we're becoming mature in our connection to God. But then I'll go a little bit further into verse 20 and 21. It says in verse 20, or 21, it says, When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which was being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. God is not here just to make you nice. God did not just send his son Jesus to die on the cross to make you nice. He wants to make you new. That's his desire, to make you new. A new creature, a new, two parts of it. One, that you're new the moment you are reborn in God. You know, Jesus said you must be born again. The moment you come to faith in Christ, you put your trust in him, you're made new. But then there's this path, okay? We, we have a theological word for this, justification. Doesn't, you know, we talked about that a few weeks ago, but well, I won't go there. But then there's this path of becoming godly. Train yourself to be godly. It's a way that our identity, which has changed, I'm new person in Christ, starts seeing the outworking in our everyday life. Things changing, patterns of thinking changing, um, ways of acting changing. And they're all funneling back, and they're all finding their strength and their power and their motivation in the new identity that we have. God is making us new. He wants to make us new, not just mature, nice people, but to make us new people. Not nice people, but God's people to be shaped by the gospel, to be shaped by what Christ has done for us in him. So God is, is working in our lives. He's working overtime to change us on the inside out. So when we look at our, our mission statement, we strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. How are we going to see people reconciled to God? The answer is the gospel. How are we going to see people mature in Christ? The answer is the gospel. You, we, we just spent a number of weeks, if you're here with us through the summer, you would have gone with us on this journey through the book of Galatians, which is basically the gospel written to people who already believe. And then there's another great book in the New Testament you could look at, the book of Romans, very similar. The gospel written to people who already believe. So what, what does the person who who isn't a Christian yet need, they need the truth about Jesus, the good news, the gospel. What does the person who already believes need? They need the gospel. Right? The, the story of the book of Galatians was that here are people 
that have come to believe in Christ and yet they've fallen away in, in, in funny ways, in strange ways. It's like he uses the language, he says, who's bewitched you? Something has come into your thinking so that you've stopped living out of your identity in Christ and you started to live in some whole different way, trying to approach God based on your own good works, not trusting in what Jesus has done for you, trusting in what you can do for yourself. So everybody needs the gospel. So it'll help, us, it'll help us accomplish our mission statement, help us to see people reconcile to God, right? Have you ever been in one of those conversations where you're just like, man, I, I wish I could fluently, you don't say it this way, but I wish I could share the truth about Jesus in this scenario, but all I've got is a few phrases. I wish I had. I wish this was flowing. I wish this flowed more naturally. And so it's not just going to help us do our mission statement, but it's going to prepare you for three crucial conversations. And this is what I want to sort of end my speaking time with, these three crucial conversations. The first crucial conversation is the conversation you have with yourself. The conversation you have with yourself. And we dealt a lot with that through the Galatians series. What conversation are you having with yourself? We talked about when you fail. Last week I talked about this. When you fail, what conversation do you have with yourself? Some of you have a nasty conversation with yourself. You have a nasty conversation. It goes like this. You say, oh, you failed God. How could you ever be loved by God because of what you've done? Oh, what kind of Christian are you? Some variation of that. And then you go on a hiatus, a vacation from God. And that, that's a normal pattern. It's not a good pattern. Oh, it's so not a good pattern. But we stop living out of the identity of what Christ has done. We stop living out of the truth of the gospel. We need to be able to have a conversation, a gospel conversation with ourselves. So in the New Testament, it talks about taking thoughts captive. When you feel that accusation, when, you, when your own heart is the one that's condemning you. When your own mind is the one that's repeating this kind of stuff, you need to be able to take those things captive. How are you going to take them captive if you have the truth of the gospel to counteract it? You will. Right? So I told you last week my silly story about how I, how I was training to run. And I told myself every morning, I'm lying in bed. i got to get up and run. What am I telling myself? Am I telling myself, you are out of shape, Steve. You're, you're, you're such a, a wimp. You've you, you, you got to get in better shape. No, I didn't say that. Because there's no power in that. I mean, that'll get you the third week of January, but it won't get you through your gym membership. You need a different motivation. So I told you my silly motivation. And that was, I said to myself, who are you, Steve? You are a piece of steel. That's what I said. It was silly. I heard people this week, they told me, they said, you know what, that helped me in my prayer life. I was like, how? They said, I just told myself, Steve, I, or whatever their name is, you know, Sally, Bob, I'm a piece of steel. And then I pushed through whatever was my challenge. And I thought, wow, that's crazy because that's not from the Bible. <laughs> but identity, identity is so motivating. Now, I want to tell you some that are from the Bible. Here's one. Here's the, I'll give you two this morning. There's tons I can give you. I can give you a list. Give me, people make these lists. People put these lists on their mirror and they go through them every day. I am, I am, I am. The Bible says I am because of Jesus. I am. I'll give, me, I'll give you two. One, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. 
I have come back to that and back to that and back to that and back to that. But your performance was terrible. But you failed God. I still belong. I am his son, daughter, if you, whatever it is for you. I still belong. So, if I don't think I belong, I'm going to go on this big hiatus vacation far away from God. People were telling me this this, this this week. They were telling me what they do to sort of make up for the fact they failed. They say, well, I'll come back to God, but I won't do it right away. Or I'll, I'll have a set number of days before I come back to God. Or I'll make sure as I come back to God that I ask for forgiveness this many times. You know what all that is? That is a failure to believe the gospel. That's a failure to believe the gospel. It's a failure to believe that, because when someone does something wrong, we all feel it internally that that must be made up for. That's got to be fixed. A, a, a scriptural word or a theological word that we use is that has to be atoned for, right? But the gospel tells us that it's not us that can atone for our own sin and failure. Jesus atoned for our sin. So when we go on a hiatus from God in our guilt, actually, not just our guilt, in our shame, right? Because guilt is about what I did. We're out of alignment with my good, what the behavior I should have done. But shame is totally different. It's an identifier. Shame is about who I am. And so we go away in our shame, and we avoid God, and we don't come back for a long, long time. And then when we come back, of course, the being away was what earned our right to be back. It's like we spent enough time. Did I cry enough? Was I repentant enough? Was I sorrowful enough? Did I spend enough time away from God to now come into his presence? That is garbage. That is garbage from the enemy, the accuser who wants to keep you separated from God. I told you last week, this is a secret that took me years to learn, years to learn. I still struggle with it, but it has helped me immensely. I would, you know, I get up and I talk for God on a morning like this, and then I'm done, and I'm like, I didn't, I wasn't clear enough. Um, I didn't pray enough. I didn't understand the text enough. I, I clearly could have done better with, you know, setting up the tech guys. I did a terrible job of that this morning, just confessing that. Um, you know, and so what I would do is I'd go, oh man, that was terrible. <sighs> go home and Monday, oh, Tuesday, my wife would hear me in the other room and what's wrong, Steve? No, nothing. <laughs> a failure to believe the truth of who I am in Christ. So I talked to an older minister and I said, what, what, what's, the, what's the deal? I, I'm, I'm going to get sick if I do this job much longer because I keep failing and then I, I, I you know, it's not good. He said, you're too self-focused. You're too focused on yourself. You're not focused enough on Jesus. Oh? He says, yeah, yeah. He said, Steve, who are you in Christ? Walk through that. Who am I in Christ? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. When I fail, I don't stop being his child. And I'm not the one who can atone for my own sin. He did it already. So I was trying to earn my way back to God through my own wallowing or my own self-infliction, and instead I realized, no, I needed to make a quick return to God, the quickest return I could possibly make. So that's what this step is about. 
I told myself, if you feel that accusation the second you finish speaking, it's here. And that's what I do. I step on the step and I say, Lord, I'm in passing, right? Lord, I receive your grace. So that my hiatus from God is a millisecond, not a month. Or years, some of you know that reality. You just felt like, I can't please God. And so it took you years and years, and maybe someone taught you the grace of God, and you understood it more, you understood who you were in Christ, and maybe now you don't have those big hiatuses, or maybe it's shortened, or maybe, you know, the battle is easier, maybe you've got more weapons to fight in the battle, but boy, I would want that for everybody. To believe the gospel. I've sat there uh, struggling in my own, I've had Christians come along, and they've spoke, I want to talk, so there's three conversations. One, the conversation with yourself, Two, the conversation with each other. So what if somebody is in this place, this shameful place where they say, oh, I can never measure up, I can't please God, I'm just going to stay a, a distance from God, maybe a safe distance from God, or I can't really get close. Where are the brothers and sisters in Christ who can come alongside and put an arm around and say, hey, let me talk to you about who you are in Christ. Let me talk to you about your identity. So we need a fluent conversation that can happen on the inside. So I, I'm experiencing greater fluency in this internal conversation. And I praise God for every bit of it. It's making me a lot healthier. A lot. It's amazing. But I need to be in a fluent community where there's give and take, where we can come to each other and say, uh, when somebody's gets caught up, and the best of the best get caught up in this same trap. The best of the best get under the attack of the accuser and, and, and are, 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 are sort of immobilized for a season. That's why Paul confronted Peter. Paul, Peter. We're talking about the giants of the early church. Paul confronted Peter, and he said, you, your life doesn't line up with the gospel. That's what we learned in the book of Galatians, how to confront him. He got into some sort of funny headspace, and he, and he got intimidated, and somehow he, he had stopped living out of who he was in Christ. And he said, listen, your life doesn't line up with the gospel. That's why whole churches in, in the province of Galatia got off track. And what did they need? They needed someone else, an other follower of Christ, to come alongside of them and say, hey, let's come back to the gospel. Let's come back to what the good news about what Jesus has done for you and who, what he says about you. Let's come back to that so that you can walk in the freedom that you're meant to have. The final conversation is the conversation with those who are not yet Christians. So, have you ever been in one of those? I've been in those conversations where you're chatting with someone, a friend, neighbor, family member, they're not a follower of Christ, and they're sharing with you a, a problem in their life. Maybe it's their parenting, maybe it's their job, maybe it's uh, relationships, whatever it is. But they're saying, this is a problem, and this is my focus, and I'm struggling, and stuff. And, and you ever been there? Okay, maybe you haven't experienced this yet, but may, maybe you have. Where you're there, and you're going, man, if they were... I think the answer that they need is in relationship with Jesus. But I can't quite trace it out for them. I can't quite, I can't quite see how their problem that they're presenting here tracks back 
to the gospel. I can't connect the dots. I wish this flowed better. I wish I was more fluid in the gospel. In Canada, we, we sort of are in this funny place of, it's like, well, I will share about Jesus if I'm ever in a spiritual conversation. Except for in the Canadian culture, you're not mostly allowed to have a spiritual conversation. Newcomers to Canada, spiritual conversations. They're totally cool with that. They're like, yeah, why would there ever be a culture where people are not okay with a spiritual conversation? But in Canada, it's a little bit weird. So what we need is we need to become fluent so that we can say, hey, you know that struggle that you're having with your boss? Or that, that, uh, that fight you're having with your kids? Or, that, or, or some of the despair you feel about how life has turned out? It tracks back. <laughs> it's connected. It's connected to how you see yourself, what's wrong in the world, what the world rotates around. You know, you're, you, you're treating your boss like they're God. And yet there's a bigger reality that I'd love to expose you to. I'd love to expose you to a bigger reality. Your boss is, in right now, the center of all of your thinking. And you're up at night and you're in fits and you're in knots because of them and you have made them a much bigger thing. And you know, I don't think they're supposed to play that central role in your life. I think there's someone else who will, who should, and, and they're the one who will not leave you in knots at night, but they'll bring you peace. Three conversations, one to yourself, one to each other, because none of us is infallible, even if, even if, Peter, the, the new, better, stronger, amazing Peter who led thousands to Christ, even if he got off track, then that means everybody in the church, myself and everyone else, needs to be in conversations where we are able to come along each other and say, remember who you are in Christ. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember who Jesus says you are. And lies and confusion blow away and then ultimately that we can take that conversation into every aspect of life every area of life and trace it back to the gospel and trace everything back to Jesus so that even in Canada non-spiritual talking Canada we can help people find Jesus can you stand with me